Hi Westwood, thanks for joining us at all of our sites. I'd love to be with you today, but I'm recovering from a knee surgery. So Pastor Zach is going to kick off a great new series that will take us on a quick six-week tour through Ephesians. I mean, this is an amazing letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Church of Ephesus. Ephesians presents this holistic view of God's story and your story from beginning to end. And it begins with this picture of God's ultimate intention of joining heaven and earth, reuniting what had been fractured long ago. We'll learn that through Jesus Christ, God brings us together with a new life-changing way of thinking, speaking, and living. And I so appreciate how Paul gets real about the struggles that we face and the resources available to help meet them with confidence. You're gonna love this series. And as I recover from surgery, I'll be joining the online campus for the next few weeks. And I'm praying for you, know that. And I'm excited to have Zach take us on the first step of the adventure through Ephesians. Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here, those joining us at our Bush Lake, our West Tonka, and our online campus. It's so good to be together. And Pastor Joel, if you're tuning in right now, praying for you, hope and pray that your recovery goes well. Well, as Joel mentioned, my name is Zach, and I have the joy of serving as the multi-site, micro-site, and online pastor. And it is an amazing honor to be here today to kick off today's uh, series. And as Joel mentioned, this sermon is really all about really a story within a story. It's how God's story intersects with our story. And as I think about it, as human beings, we are just naturally drawn to good storytelling. We're, we're drawn to stories within stories or maybe even origin stories. In fact, I love movies. I mean, movies, I, that's like kind of one of my favorite pastimes. And when I was in high school, I remember the Christopher Nolan Batman movies came out starring Christian Bale. And those movies, the first one especially, began to look at the origin of Bruce Wayne, how he became Batman. It really looked at his background and that. And then later on, all the other superhero movies came out, Captain America, Thor, uh, Iron Man. And uh, we also look at, you know, some of the, the great movies of our uh, tradition. We look at the Godfather, for example. Uh, the second Godfather looked at the origins of Don Vito Corleone, and uh, it just really is. We're drawn into those stories. Within stories, we're drawn into narratives, and so that's what we'll be seeing in the book of Ephesians. We'll be looking about how we have this story, we have this journey, this narrative, and how God steps into it with us, and so as we look at Ephesians, we're going to be unpacking and uncovering lots and lots of questions that maybe some of you have wrestled with. Uh, things such as this, how do I find a life that is thriving and abounding? Uh, what does it mean to really articulate the gospel in my own life? Or, or maybe you've asked the question, how does the Bible, how does Jesus impact my friendships and my relationships and maybe even my family? You know, as we think about it, we're called to be on this journey. So what does it mean to put on the armor of God? These are all numerous questions that we'll be looking at throughout the next several weeks. But today, I want us to really look at and unpack one question in particular, and that question is this. In our story, what does praising Jesus look like? So when we think about praise, when we think about purpose in our own life, what does praising Jesus look like in our story, in our narrative, in our journey of faith? Well, we'll be digging into this uh, primarily today. And to give you a little bit of a roadmap for our journey today, we're going to cover a lot of ground, I'll be honest with you, but we'll see two major movements within today's message. We'll see, first of all, uh, the purpose. I want us to dig into really the background to give you a 30,000 foot view of the book of Ephesians, to give you a little bit of understanding around the context. And then second, we're going to drill into the reason for praise. 
Okay, why we can praise God, why we can praise Jesus with our lives and with our story. From that, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. So purpose and a praise. All right, but let's just dive in to a little bit of the background, a little bit of the purpose behind why this book was written. And so to give you some context, the Apostle Paul is the writer of the book of Ephesians, and he was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now you can go and visit Ephesus today. It's found in the modern day country of Turkey. But back in the day when Paul was writing, Ephesus was a port city. So much like New York or LA, it it had a lot of traffic coming through, a lot of uh, commerce that was coming through the city of Ephesus, which meant that it was a very diverse city, diverse in terms of people from other countries, but also diverse in terms of people of different religious backgrounds. And within Ephesus, there was a lot of a spiritual component as well. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the world was the Temple of Artemis, which is found there in Ephesus. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to to lean in with me just for this first little bit. Let's step into the classroom, if you will. Let's unpack some of the 30,000 foot view of what the book of Ephesians is all about. And we're going to cover a lot of ground just in a short amount of time. So I invite you to take out your teaching notes and do that. Maybe you're one of those people you like to pull out your phone and snap photos of the screen. Okay, if that's you, no judgment, at least from me. Okay, just make sure your flash is off. But let's look at really the purpose. And we come to the thematic purpose, first of all, the thesis of Ephesians. We could say this. Ephesians is all about living an immeasurable life experienced in unity and expressed in love. Okay, one more time. It's all about living this immeasurable life, a life that is abounding and thriving, and it's experienced in unity and it's experienced in I'm sorry, experience in unity and expressed in love. So really three key ideas here. But first of all, we see this idea of the immeasurable life. This comes from Ephesians 3.20. Paul says these words. He says this, Now to him, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I don't know about you, but I want the immeasurable life. I want the life that is, is being worked on through the, the amazing work of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. So we can see, first of all, it's a life that is immeasurable, a life that is abounding, a life that is thriving. But not only is it a life that is immeasurable, it's experienced in unity. And so that's really kind of the second part that we see. It's, it's a life experienced in unity. Now, the thing about unity his unity is, is really this unique word uh, that's only used here in the book of Ephesians. It's used nowhere else in the New Testament. But the two places it's found in Ephesians, first of all, is this. Paul says, I urge you, he says, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes on and he says this, uh, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And so this word for unity, what does it mean then? If it's really rare and, and unique, it, it means to be united with one another and not just tolerating people, but it means to live in accord and to live in harmony. It's something that we want to strive for in our lives. But Paul doesn't just use sort of these words to describe unity. He also goes on and he uses metaphors as well. He uses three metaphors. First of all, he says we're called to be united as the body of Christ. And you can see all of these scripture verses underneath it, but he says the body of Christ, uh, much like you and I have a body with fingers and hair and eyes, we're called to grow together being united as one. Then he says, second, we're to be united as a structure, like a holy temple built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We're to be united as a structure. And then third, the third metaphor that he uses is to be united as the bride of Christ. That Christ, the husband, and the church, the bride, that we're to be united in perfect harmony and accord with each other. 
So unity in three different ways, metaphorically represented here. And so this is a, a beautiful idea of living the immeasurable life experienced in unity. And what I appreciate about this is who was the audience of the book of Ephesians? What was the church there? But what were the, the people like? What, what was the background? It's believed that the church in Ephesus was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Okay, Gentiles, those were non-Jews. Okay, and these two groups were usually diametrically opposed. They hated one another. And yet what we see is that God, through the work of Jesus Christ, united them as one body, as one structure, as metaphorically the bride of Christ. And so what was it then that united Jew and Gentile? What was the tool? It was the tool of love. And so love is really showcased throughout Paul's letter. In fact, out of all of Paul's letter, in Ephesians, love is used the most. It has a high frequency, more so than any of his other books. But he talks about love experienced in three different ways. First of all, he talks about God's love for humans. And he uses this five times, um, that we might know, that we might be grounded in God's love for all of humanity. Second, he talks about God's love, that we might know, walk in, and experience Jesus's love. Okay, that each and every day we can celebrate Jesus' love for us. That's used three times. But it doesn't just stop with God's love for us. Now it talks about pouring out our love for others. And so it says, third, believers love for one another. And this is used 11 times. So this is used a lot in the book of Ephesians. That we are to live the immeasurable life, experienced in unity, and expressed in love. But when we think about it, Okay, we can understand all of this was written, you know, 2,000 years ago to the book of Ephesus, but when we look at our day and age today, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we could probably say this, you know, I don't experience unity all that much. You know, I think that maybe a lot of us, we can say, you know, my life is characterized more by division than it is by unity. I mean, I think if we were to just take a zoom out look, we could say there's probably more division in our country than there is unity. Uh, maybe for some of you, you feel it. You're like, man, there's division within my own community. Maybe for some, there's division within your family, maybe within your friend groups, whatever that might look like. And so we're called to unite. And I, I think that for all of us, we, we have a longing for unity and community. I, I think we long to be in it with one another. Uh, we long to have people validate our ideas and validate our lifestyles. And so I think a lot of times the reason for division um, comes around really this idea of us separating from other people. And so I, I think about a quote that was given by a, a pastor named Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor down in Oklahoma. And, and he said this, he said, people will usually unite around one of two things. He said, people will unite either around a common vision or a common villain. Okay, think about this for a second. Okay, people will unite either around a common vision or a common villain. And, and the hope right now is, is that as believers, that as the church, that we're uniting around a common vision, a vision that Jesus has given us to, to go and make disciples, to bring hope and healing and the blessing to all the nations, to our community all around us. We want to unite around that common vision. But I think sometimes as, as human beings, we actually unite more around a common villain. Okay, we say, oh, that one person, we're going to unite around them. We're going to bring them down. We're going to take them down a notch or two. And so it's just a question. Uh, you know, how are you uniting? How are you finding your tribe? How are you building your community? Is it around a common vision or is it around a common villain? Well, if division is the default instead of unity, what then is it the tool by which we find division? What is it that causes us to form around a common villain? I, I think that we could say it's, it's gossip. And, and if we were to put words around gossip, I think that we could say this, this is the effect of gossip. Gossip, it sows seeds of division 
and doubt. Okay, gossip, it sows seeds of division and doubt. I mean, think about it. You know, whenever you're uniting around that, that common villain, you're, you're looking at that person and you're saying, this person is terrible. This person has done X, Y, or Z. Have you heard what this person did or what this person said? And we begin to spread gossip and slander about that person, which leads to division and not unity. But if we think about gossip, and if we really need to kind of just unpack it and, and call it out for, for what it is, I, I think that we could ultimately say this about gossip. Gossip is actually demonic. Gossip is demonic. Now, you might be sitting there, you're like, whoa, 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 Zach, like, isn't that kind of harsh? Isn't that kind of like direct? Yes, but, but I think that we have to call it out for what it really is. Because when we go back to the original origin story, we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, God created humanity, and then Genesis 3, what do we see? We see the adversary, we see Satan slithering into the garden, and we ultimately see him utilizing his number one goal. What was it? It was division. What was his number one tactic? Gossip. He, he slithered up to Adam and Eve and he, he said, did God really say that? Does God really have your best intention in mind? Isn't God just a cosmic killjoy? And, and Satan began to plant these seeds of doubt that eventually sprouted into division, division between Adam and Eve and division between them and God. And so what we can ultimately see is that gossip and slander it has its roots in a demonic practice. And so what then is gossip today? Uh, a couple thoughts around this. You know, because sometimes you might hear somebody say these words, I'm just sharing this out of concern. Okay, your, 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 your warning flag should go up a little bit. Because then we can ask that question. Is this person going to share this about the other person if that other person were actually here? Okay, if that person that the object of, of the gossip is about would this person actually share that if this person was here? Because when you think about gossip, three people are impacted by it. The person who's speaking the gossip, the person of the object of the gossip, and then the recipient of the gossip. Okay, it's not just some harmless thing, but it impacts all of us in ways than, than we even thought. But then second, I, I think that we could ask this question, what is my tone? A am I just externally processing? But if my tone becomes disparaging and dismissive about the other person's character, it's probably gossip and it's probably slander. You see, because if we get to a point where we're saying, um, we're, we're making it more about their character and about their actions rather than our own posturing and our own positioning, then it's gossip. And so let me just give you an encouragement. Okay, if gossip is characterizing your life, stop, cut it out. And if you're that third person that you're maybe sitting there and you're wondering, well, what happens whenever gossip comes my way? Let me give you this encouragement. Stop, drop, and run. Okay, so say you're at a coffee shop this week and someone begins to say those words, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? You have my full permission to say, Pastor Zach told me to stop, drop, and run. And if I'm in that coffee shop, I'm gonna be like, way to go! <laughs> I'll encourage you in that. But what we can see is gossip sows seeds of division and doubt. And what we see is the immeasurable life is found in unity expressed through love. And so that's the 30,000 foot view of Ephesians. That's really where we're going to, to see God giving us this immeasurable life. And what we wanna do is we wanna provide for you resources in this journey. And so our team has put together this Ephesians companion guide. It's, it's full of scripture and it's full of questions and reflection points. And so pick one of these up today. And for those of you who are joining us online, you should see a QR code um, at the bottom of the screen. Scan that QR code. It'll bring you to the engagement card. Put in the comment section, please send me a companion guide and we'll be sure to send it to you. Or you can download this online as well. But let's be a church, friends, that, that just digs into God's word, that really studies it and really uh, applies it to our lives. Okay, 
That's the purpose of Ephesians. Okay, now let's, let's change gears a little bit. All right, let's dig into the reason for praise. Now that we've got the purpose in mind, what is the reason for praise? And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 now. And as we look at it, what we'll ultimately see is that there is this Trinitarian rhythm to this first chapter. And I say Trinitarian because here at Westwood, we believe that God is triune, that God is a Trinitarian God. That there is one God expressed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God. The Father is fully God, Jesus is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God as well. And because they are three distinct persons, here's the part, they interject into our story in three distinct ways. So what we could say is this, in our story, the Father selects, the Son sacrifices, and the Holy Spirit seals. So the Father selects, the Son sacrifices, and the Holy Spirit seals. This is God stepping into our story with us. Okay, but let's look at this first idea, the Father selects. Look at verse three, it says these words. It says praise, okay, that's the whole reason for our existence. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. Okay, I know that there's a lot going on there. I know that there's a lot to unpack, uh, but it really ultimately says that the father selects, the, God, the, the father chooses us. And this might kind of be like, wait, what do you mean that the father chooses me? Like, uh, how, how does that really jive? What does that mean? And I think the encouraging part is that Paul continues along and he gives us this metaphor of what it looks like to say the father selects, the father chooses us. And the metaphor, you might have, might have seen it highlighted there, is this idea of adoption, uh, that we are adopted. And so when I think about this, I think about a couple years back when I had the chance to serve on a missions trip. We took a team to Jamaica and we were doing some really cool stuff down, down there. But one day we had a chance to go to this orphanage. And I'll never forget that as we stepped foot into this orphanage, my heart just sank and my heart broke because there were so many kids there who were there because of no choice of their own, but it was because of the broken and the, the fragmented structures all around them that placed them into this place. But then it got me thinking about the beauty of adoption, that adoptive parents, they usually step in and they adopt those kids because they want to give them a better future. And here's the thing, the reason for their adoption isn't because of these kids, how they look or how they act or how they perform, but it's based solely on the heart and the character of the adoptive parent, usually. But when we think about this, this is the same for you and I. You see, because we could say this, that we were orphaned at the fall. When we go back to the origins of our story, we were orphaned at the fall, that we were separated and severed in our relationship from God. But now God steps into the equation, his story intersects with our story, and God selects us through the beauty of adoption. No longer are we orphans, but now all of a sudden we have this this new access and this new union with God. And so when we think about this idea of of what does it mean to to praise God, how can we uh, praise God for all that he is and for all that he's done? I think we could ultimately say this, um, I can praise God because through the Father, I have a new identity. Okay, let me unpack this. I can praise God because through the Father, I have a new identity. You know, here at Westwood, we, we say this frequently, 
Uh, We say that we are beloved sons and daughters of the most high God. That no longer are we identified by our past mistakes or our past missteps, but now we are identified by the work of God, that he chooses us, that he adopts us, that he brings us into his family. And so what difference then does identity make? What difference does it make to say, oh, I'm a beloved son of the most high God? Well, I think about it. I think about my own kids. We've got three kids. And so what happens then whenever it's late at night and there's a crazy thunderstorm where the kids have bad dreams? What do they do? All right, they get out of their bed, they pitter-patter down the hallway, and they run and they jump into bed with mom and dad. You realize this, my kids have a different level of access to me than many of you have, all right? If all of a sudden I wake up in the middle of the night and there you are, I'm gonna be spooked a little bit. Okay, I'm mean, like, what are you doing here? No, but what we see is that whenever we have this identity that we are beloved sons and daughters of the most high God, we now have access to our heavenly father. And the last time I checked, there's a lot of safety and there's a lot of security being in the presence of our heavenly father. That's the identity that we have and that's the access that's been granted to us. But not only that, it, it, this really resonated with me this week. You see, because each week, you know, we, we get these engagement cards as a pastoral staff, we, we read through these. And in fact, this last week, I was reading through one of the uh, prayer requests that was submitted. I just want to encourage you, fill out these engagement cards. Let's be community together. Let's be a community on mission. Let's pray and lift up uh, one another. But one of the prayer requests that I got came from a gal who's just been navigating a treacherous season. Recently, she lost a loved one. And she's been kind of putting together all the administrative work for his passing But not only that, she's been dealing with a physical ailment that's been debilitating for her. But I was so encouraged by her last statement, her last sentence. She simply said this, God is good, but life is challenging. I mean, think on that for a second. Is life challenging? You know, for each and every one of us, we have ebbs and flows. We have some seasons where it's a breeze and we have other seasons where it's like, man, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. Life is challenging, but God is good. Our problems do not hinder God's presence in our lives. He is still with us and we can find that we have, because we are his sons and daughters, that we now have access to him, that we can come to him and we can say, man, God, life is hard, life is challenging, but you are still good and you are still with me. That's what we see. We can praise God because we are now adopted and we have a new identity, beloved sons and daughters of the most high God. But now second, we come to the sacrifice of the son. So what is it that Jesus does? Well, the son sacrifices for us. Let's go back to verse seven. It says this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring, what is that word? Unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so what we see is that, first of all, we are adopted, that we are brought into the family of God. But now we begin to unpack and understand how is it that we are adopted? What is the tool? What is the method by which we are adopted? Uh, Well, I know that there's a lot there, but verse seven, it, it simply says this, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption, redemption through his blood. And that word redemption is so key, it's so important. In fact, it actually takes us back to the first century. Um, You see, in the first century, there was so much conflict that would go on all around them. And this might be a little foreign to you, so I invite you to lean in. But during this conflict, people would come in and they would pillage villages. And they would take those villagers out, and then they put them on 
trading blocks. They, they put them on servant blocks and people would come in and they'd say, I want him or I want her and I'm going to redeem, I'm going to buy them and bring them into my new camp or my new household. And so what we can see is that our origin, our story is this, that Genesis 3, at the fall, we were orphaned, but also at the fall, we were prisoners of war. We were, we were in this wartime cosmic conflict between God and Satan. And as we are standing there on this, this block, Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. How does he buy us back? He doesn't buy us back with gold or silver, but he buys us back with his precious blood poured out for us. And that's why we come to the table today to remember his sacrifice, to receive of his uh, blood and, and, and the bread symbolizing his body that he gave all that he had so that we might be redeemed and reunited to him. And so when we think about this idea of really praising God and and finding hope in him, I I think that we could say this. We can say, I can praise God because through Jesus, through the son, I have a new unity with God. I have a new unity with God. I I can praise Jesus because he has redeemed, he has bought us back with his blood, uh, that we can have a new unity with God that he's changed our position. He's moved us from the old to the new. He moved us from being orphans now being in the family. And he's moved us from being severed and separated to now being reunited with God. And so what difference does this make? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this so important? You know, I I think about it and just some of the conversations that I've had with people. You know, a lot of times they might say things like this. You know, I don't really get the big idea around faith. Yeah, I don't really get the big idea when it comes to God or Jesus. You know, when I think about church or when I think about God, it's just kind of like, yeah, like NBD, no big deal. And so then it gets me thinking a little bit. It's like, well, what is it then that we are called to? Like, what is it, what is it that the world is trying to impress upon us? That, that we're born, we spend a couple of fun years in our adolescence growing up, and then we go off to college, and then maybe we get married, and then we have a job, and then we buy a minivan, and we have a lot of kids, and then we repeat the cycle with them. We send them to college, and, and then we retire, and then we die, and it's just kind of meh. Like, is, is that what we're called to? No, what we see here is that we have redemption, in Jesus Christ, that that redemption gives us a new unity. And so then I pause and I think, wait a second, you mean to tell me that that I can have unity with the creator of the universe? I can have unity with the guy who hung the stars in the sky, the the God who created you and me with with all the unique intricacies within our body, that I can have unity with the God who dropped humpback whales in the ocean. I had a chance to go on a tour on a cruise once with Cassie. Those humpback whales, like they're huge. They could smush us in one second. And that's the unity that I can have with that kind of God. Sign me up for that. I'll take that any day, right? That's the unity that I want. And that's the unity that's available to us. And when we see that we can understand that redemption through Jesus gives us unity to God, he gives us purpose in that. And that's what we're gonna be studying over the next several weeks. Lean into it, friends. But next Sunday, we're gonna be looking at Ephesians 2.10, how we can experience unity for all eternity and how we can be a part of God's plan to reunite all things. And so I know it's Mother's Day. Join us for it. You won't wanna miss it. It'll be great and it'll be fantastic. But the father selects and he adopts. The son sacrifices and he redeems. But now we come to the third person. We come to the the Holy Spirit. And we see that the Holy Spirit seals. And so we can go back in and, and we can look at these verses here. And it says this. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And he says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who has a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so as you can see here, there are a couple words that are highlighted, but it says, first of all, when you heard, you believed, and when you believed, you were marked with a seal. And so what does it mean to say that there's a mark and there's a seal? Well, this goes back to, once again, a first century practice. Uh, And it's the way that, you know, countries communicated with one another. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't through texting. It wasn't through emailing or, or, or tweeting or anything like that. They would send letters. And what they would do is these kings or queens, they would come in and they'd write a letter and they'd stuff it in an envelope and they'd pour wax on it. And then they'd take their signet ring and they'd impress upon that mark saying, this seal has authority. And whenever that recipient received a letter, if the seal was broken, they knew, okay, this letter had been tampered with. This is what saved countries from going to war with one another, a wax seal, okay? Man, I'm glad that we've come this far as humanity, okay? But ultimately what we see is that the seal bears authority from the king or the, key, uh, the queen. Uh, that we were marked with the seal, that that's the Holy Spirit, that he has sealed us with authority. But then what is the seal exactly? I mean, we go back really quick here. It says, but you were marked with a seal and, and the, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so the Holy Spirit as our seal is essentially our deposit. He's our down payment. Uh, Much like you put a down payment on a house or a car, uh, you're ultimately saying, I'm good for the money. I'm putting a little bit down now and over time, I'm gonna see it through. This is my guarantee that I'm gonna see the payment through. So what is the guarantee of our faith that we're gonna receive an inheritance until the redemption of those who see who are God's possession? And so ultimately what we can understand about this is the Holy Spirit is our down payment promising us our inheritance. Think about this. This is all connected together. What is it that the father did? The father adopted us. He brought us into a new family. We have a new identity. And when you get brought into a new family, you get certain guarantees. You get certain benefits of being in that family, one of which an inheritance. And now the Holy Spirit doing his work says, I am the guarantee, the down payment, the deposit of that inheritance. So God takes care of us past, present, and he will see it through that God's authority ultimately gives us assurance in our faith. And so while we see the work of the Holy Spirit, we can ultimately say this, I I, I can praise God because through the Spirit, I now have assurance. I have assurance in my faith. And I think that this is really important because, you know, as as a pastor, a lot of times I get some of those questions. Zach, can I lose my salvation? Zach, can I really have assurance of eternal life? Can I really have assurance of my faith? We could unpack this, we could spend so much time on this, but I just want to give a couple of thoughts and remarks briefly. Uh, Number one, we see that we are sealed, that that is a sign of God's authority. So the question is this, whose authority for eternal life do you have? Is it your authority or is it God's authority? Yes, the one person listening, thank you. (laughs) Yes, it's God's authority. The last time I checked, I'd take his authority over my own authority, all right? But not only that, the next question is, what is it then that saves us? Okay, are, are we saved by works or are we saved by faith in Christ? Faith in Christ, the three of y'all, come on now, all right? <laughs> the only work that we are saved by is the work of Jesus. And so I think a lot of times in our head, we get into this mindset of saying, you know what? I was saved by works. And since I was saved by works, my works can then unsave me. If you're upholding that, can I just call it out? That's a lie within our faith. Because what we see is that we are saved by faith, faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. 
The Son sacrifices and gives us salvation, and the Spirit seals us and guarantees our salvation. And so there's a quote that I, a lot of times, I, I go back to just to kind of give me encouragement. It's by Leon Morris. He said this. He said, our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. Friends, sit in that and rest in that. Can I have assurance in my faith? Absolutely. You don't want to know why? Because it's not based on you. It's based on Christ and what he's done. Our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. Let that stir up your heart with hope and guarantee today. I know that we've covered a lot of ground, but we see our story and God stepping into our story that first of all, we were orphaned at the fall, but God steps in and he adopts us. And now he gives us a new identity that we are beloved sons and daughters of the most high God. Uh, We see that we were separated from God because of this cosmic conflict. But now Jesus steps in and he redeems us and gives us a new unity to the creator of the universe. And then we see that we had previously, our origin was that we had no future hope no guarantee, but the Spirit steps in and he seals us and he marks us so that we might now have assurance. Friends, rest in all of that. See the beauty of the God that we praise and that we worship because the greater we understand who he is and what he's done, the greater our praise and worship will be. And that's why we come here to the table today to hold these, this bread and this cup to remember and to celebrate who he is and what he's done. And I invite you, don't rush through this. Don't uh, move through this quickly. But I want to invite you to reflect and to look inwardly and just think, does division characterize my life? Is gossip a major part of my life? I know we talked about that earlier. But if so, lay that at the feet of Jesus. Are you feeling in your life, you know what? It's like, uh, I, I don't feel like God is proud of me. I feel like God's ashamed of me. Rest in the fact that he gives you a new identity, that you are a beloved son and daughter. And maybe you feel like, you know, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like I have much union with God. Remember that Jesus redeems you. He buys you back and you can have new unity. Or maybe some of you are just sitting there and you're questioning. You're questioning, ah, is it my works that save me or is it something else? Know this, know that it is Jesus' work and the spirit gives you assurance in all things. And so friends, as we take of this cup, may we do so with glad and sincere hearts. I know that for many of you here today and those watching with us, that this might be the first time that you've heard of this and you've never had a chance to respond to Jesus. I'm gonna pray here in just a moment, and as I do, I wanna invite you to prayerfully respond with me. Let's go before the Lord now. Let's pray together, friends. God, we thank you and praise you so much that you didn't abandon us, but you stepped towards us into our story, that you adopted us, you chose us, that we can become sons and daughters, that you redeemed us, that you bought us back, that we might have unity, and that you are uniting all things, things on earth and above the earth. And now you give us a seal. You give us the mark of assurance. May that stir our hearts with gladness and with gratitude. And Lord, we know that there are some here today who have not had a chance to respond to you. And friends, if that's you, I invite you now. Set your eyes on Christ, his amazing grace. What it means, first of all, is to admit. Admit that, yes, you're orphaned at the fall. That, yes, you are separated and severed from this relationship with God. It means to believe, believe in who he is and what he's done, that he's ransomed and redeemed us. And it means to confess and commit. Commit to saying, Jesus, I I can't do this on my own. I need you as Savior and I need you as Lord of my life. Friends, he's here to give us the life that is abounding, a life that is immeasurable. So won't you receive it?
And so, Lord, as we take these elements, this bread and this cup, may we do so with glad and sincere hearts. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said,